0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at play like a Jet One, and I am joined to go through the latest news by the most dangerous man on the New York Jets beat, dangerous Daryl Slater. He's the guy that will make you fear flannel. That's how dangerous he is. What's going on, Daryl?
2: <laughs> not too much, man. I don't know how dangerous I am, but uh, not not feeling too dangerous today. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, thanks for having
1: me on. You are dangerous in terms of people trying to hide information from you on the beat. <laughs> you will turn it up and you will use it against them. One guy who is right now very much in the mode of not wanting to have people say negative things about him, regardless of whether it's you or some random person on Twitter, is Le'Veon Bell. There's been a little bit of a controversy hanging over him as far as him not showing up to OTAs. I don't really think it's that big of a deal, but some people have been upset about it, and so he answered the critics on Twitter and on Instagram, and then there was some talk from his teammates about it at the United Way Gala last night. So let's talk about this a little bit, Daryl. Talk to me about what Le'Veon Bell has said about why he hasn't been at OTAs.
2: Yeah, so he so the Jets started their uh, voluntary offseason workouts on now on April eighth, which is one month ago, and. He was there for the first week, and it sounds like he hasn't been there since. And the Jets have the practice-wise, they've really done three, if you could call them, practices late in a, late April. It was a voluntary minicamp. Um, they just it was a lot of walkthrough-type stuff. wasn't really a full practice. So, Le'Veon Bell was not there, and Darren Lee wasn't wasn't there as as we all know at those at those camp practices. So, um, I don't think any of us in the media have you know really criticized him for for not being there i'm sure the coaches would like for him to be there but it's the whole off-season program is voluntary with the exception of three-day mandatory minicamp in june so uh, i'm sure some fans have have come down a little harder on on him and and he, he responded to it on instagram and wrote it was a response to a comment about someone asking when he was going to show up and he basically said he has his what his system for how he gets ready and his method for what he does to get ready for the season. And, you know, he's going to be there and he's going to perform when it matters most. And no one's going to remember this in January and basically saying, you know, he's going to help lead the jets to the playoffs. And no one's going to remember that he, that he, uh, didn't show up for voluntary workouts in the spring. So which would certainly be the case if he, if he has a great year, uh, Yeah, absolutely. No one's going to remember this. Um, And it certainly is right to not show up for these workouts. Most guys do show up. A a lot of times some veterans don't. In the past, I mean, he he hasn't in the past mainly due to contract dispute issues. But, you know, for instance, like Ben Roethlisberger, some of the older veterans, you know, they they decide to skip these. But the Jets, they start their OTAs on May 21st, which is their first, like, kind of, presuming they do a real practice. But uh, um, that's their first, like, Actual practice probably under Adam Gase where they'll do more practice stuff uh, formally than they did uh, during the voluntary mini camp. So they'll have 10 OTAs and then three mandatory mini camp practices. So, really, there's 10 practices coming up that he doesn't have to be at, but three that he does. And there's three in the books already that he didn't have to be at. So, um, we'll see what he does in terms of whether he shows up for OTAs. It seems like he's not going to, and that he's just going to be there for the mandatory mini camp. And then once training camp begins, in, in late July. It's interesting because the mandatory minicamps June 4th through 6th this year and the fall, fo- and the last set of OTAs are June 10th through thirteen. Normally the mini mandatory minicamps the last thing. So I wonder if he'll come back for the mandatory minicamp and then leave or if he will stick around for the final four OTAs the following week, uh, after that mandatory mini camp on June 4th through six. So, uh, I think it's a, it's a red flag if he doesn't show up to the mandatory mini camp, because that's saying you know, he, he's willing to take a substantial fine instead of showing up for three practices. But I don't, you know, ultimately I don't think it's that big of a deal. And then, like you said, his teammates were asked about it last night at the United way charity event. And they basically said what you'd expect. I mean, it's really, it's, it's like, you could literally paint my numbers with their quotes where it was, uh, you know, they're not worried about it. And, um, you know they expect you know they expect him to perform when it matters most, and blah blah blah. So it's it's t- typical, you know what you'd expect. Company line, you know if they feel upset about it, they're not they're not saying it, but I don't think they do. I think the coaches would love for him to be there, um, but um, they're going to have to make do with what with the hand they're dealt here.
0: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress, and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep.
1: There are a lot of players that don't show up to these, mainly superstar-level players who have been around for a while. In fact, last season, Ben Roethlisberger didn't show up because he planned a family vacation. So it wasn't even like what Le'Veon Bell is doing where he's working out on his own. Big Ben just said, I'm going to go on vacation. I don't care. Tom Brady doesn't show up to these things. Gronk. Going back even further, you talk about guys like Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. They never showed up. It's just the way it is. When you're at a certain level, you have the luxury of not going. It's voluntary. It's kind of one of those voluntary but sort of voluntary things because it looks bad if you're in a certain position. But if you're at the point in your career that Le'Veon Bell is at, you really don't have to worry about it. This is not Calvin Pryor no-showing OTAs. He was a roster bubble player a couple of years ago, right?
2: Yeah, no, I, and I... You can understand also when a guy like Darren Lee, for instance, uh, doesn't show up because you know, there was uncertainty about whether his fifth year option would be picked up. You see it when guys are uh, potentially going to be traded uh, where they don't show up. And I'm sure the team is fine with that. But then again, I mean, if a guy can get hurt jogging around the field in Florham Park, then he could probably get hurt on his own training. You know? So it's kind of like it's not like these guys are doing like hardcore practice stuff with contact out there. Um but uh you know, Le'Veon Bell has been training. I mean he's been putting up videos on, on social media of him running and stuff like that and doing what you'd expect for his training. So uh the you know, the advantage really to being there for the workouts is being able to go through going through a playbook installation, but on the flip side of that is what Adam Gase uh mentioned, which is that the players have access to the playbook remotely through iPads now. So it's really not you know the end of the world and even if the iPad didn't exist I mean the guy could have come and gotten a playbook in the first week and actual paper playbook and, and studied it so uh, on his own so um, you know ideally he would be he would be there and participating in the workouts and, that, and I'm sure that's how the coaches see it but there's a reason that they're voluntary I mean this is what was collectively bargained between the players union and, and, and the owners so um, it's it's his right to not show up.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: Like you said, Daryl, if he doesn't show up to the mandatory practices, then I'll be worried about it. Until such time, I'm not going to be concerned because many players in his position do not go to these things. It's just the way things are. Like you said, it was something that was bargained for in the collective bargaining agreement. Not really much of a story here except for the fact that Le'Veon Bell decided that he needed to take to social media to answer some of the critics of the fact that he wasn't there. So we'll keep an eye on this but unless he doesn't show up to the mandatory practices I really don't think it's anything to be concerned about and another thing that I'm not concerned about is Sam Darnold having the quote unquote sophomore jinx. I think he showed plenty toward the end of the season last year to let us know that especially with new weapons like Bell and Jamison Crowder he's going to be a force to be reckoned with in 2019, and apparently Joe Namath agrees with that.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, last night at the charity event, Joe Namath he goes to this United Way event every year, and he talked about how he had a rough, you know, second year in the NFL a long, long time ago, and he thinks Sam Darnold will be better because you know Darnold's smarter and all that stuff. So that's what you'd expect from from Joe Namath. He's he's generally, especially lately, been pretty positive about all things Jets and. uh uh, so, you know, he, he, for what it's worth, he's, you know, he doesn't have an intimate knowledge of what Sam Darnold is doing, but, um, he thinks that he's going to have a good year. And I, I, I think the sophomore jinx thing is weird because Sam Darnold didn't, have, he didn't really have that great of a year overall last year. Like, I don't, to me, the sophomore jinx is a guy who is like, all right, will Saquon Barkley have the sophomore jinx? Like, a guy who had a great year his first year. And then, like, that's what that is to me. It's our, our, like, you know, you, you, Tail off. I mean, with Sam Darnold, you look at the track record last year. He was one of the least effective quarterbacks in the league from a quarterback rating perspective. Yeah, he was good in the final four games, no doubt, and he showed progress in the final four games. So, you know, if anything, you know, he hopes that can kind of be a continuation of of that this year. Um, but you have uh, you know a new offense and all that, so it's really almost like he's starting over. Um, he had those games before the injury last year, and then it's almost like he got a fresh start after the injury in December and played well. And now he gets kind of another fresh start. So uh, in some ways, it's really not a continuation at all for him because he's in a new offense and already in his second year. So it's a fresh start with, you know, having played in uh, what did he played in 12 or 13 games last year. So um, I don't, I don't, I mean, the jury's still out on this guy. I think we've said it over and over and over again. Like the notion that he's definitely going to be a really good quarterback is, is, is silly, I think. But uh, there's, there's reasons for hope for sure based on what he did down the stretch. So I think he'll continue to progress. I think he'll do fine this year. And I think he's got the signs of a guy who will continue to grow, but you know, we don't know yet. Um, and I don't think, I don't think we'll have to worry about a sophomore jinx because the bottom line is like when, when the end of the season comes, like, there's probably it's probably unlikely that his numbers are going to be worse than they were last year because they, they I mean they were pretty bad at the end of the year if you just look at the stats overall for the whole year. So if you evaluate the end of 2019, if his numbers are worse than that, that that's a problem, you know. So he he really only has only one way to go in terms of the totality of the season, which is up from a, from a numerical perspective. Um, and uh, you know, I think that the, the signs are there that he can do it.
1: Fair point, Daryl. This is not Baker Mayfield that we're talking about here.
2: Right, exactly. That's a Another guy who that's a guy who would be the sophomore jinx, you know, a guy who really burst onto the scene and, um, and then, then potentially would sputter. Like, uh, who would be a guy like that? I don't know. Did, did Robert Griffin have a rough year his second year? Or, I'm just thinking of those examples. That, that's what that would be. That's, uh, but, but I think what John Ameth is driving at is he thinks that Sam Darnold will continue to improve. That's sort of what, however you want to use the phrasing. He's saying that this kid will continue to pr- improve and progress and that he won't have kind of a little bit of a letdown in his second year. But, you know, Joe Namath went on to be just fine. I mean, he went on to, you know, be the most iconic player in the history of the Jets. So, um, yeah, even if Sam Darnold has some hiccups this year, I think those are to be expected. He he will have some hiccups this year. Uh, I think, you know, there's examples there of guys who have gone on to –
1: I would say the best position to take on Sam Darnold, if you're a Jets fan, is confident but not cocky. I think he's going to be really, really good, but as you said, Daryl, it's not written in stone, so we'll see what happens for him in his second year, but we do know that he will be on the roster, unlike Brandon Silvers. We barely knew you, Brandon. He came and went so fast. Daryl, I don't know about you, but I will never, ever forget the Brandon Silvers era of New York Jets football. <laughs>
2: uh he was the only guy they signed from the AAF and I don't know if they're gonna wind up signing another guy some of these teams signed a bunch more players out of the AAF but yeah so the Jets obviously brought in Luke Falk and that kind of spelled the end for Brandon Silvers it seemed unlikely they would go into these spring practices with five quarterbacks there's not, really no point in doing that so they go with Darnold and Simeon and then those you know, those are going to be their one and two uh, quarterback and then Davis Webb and Luke Falk will battle it out for the the number three job um neither of those guys has ever played in an NFL game. So uh, you're looking at those guys probably being practice squad number three rather than a guy who would be active as the number three. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, if the Jets even keep three quarterbacks. So uh, Luke Fox got some system familiarity with Adam Gase a little bit from having been in Miami last year before he got hurt uh, and worked in Gase's system. So I guess Luke Fox is an upgrade from Brandon Silver's as the number four quarterback, but um, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out. But it's Davis Webb's got an opportunity. Luke Fox got an opportunity. But other than that, a quarterback, you kind of know where the Jets stand with one and two.
1: Daryl, the only thing I'm disappointed about is that I was hoping if he made the team that somebody would call him Brandon Highho Silvers, and that's out the window now. So no laugh for me from that perspective. We should also mention, since you brought up the AAF, former New York Jet Jalen Marshall has signed with the Raiders. I did see that,
2: yeah. guy who was a had returner potential for the jets and then uh would get popped with a pv suspension so i did see that yeah was, well, you know we'll see what that amounts to but it's a good opportunity for him
0: this is the overtime podcast network
1: good luck to Jalen Marshall with the Raiders former undrafted free agent here with the Jets and hopefully he's got some good things in store for him with the Raiders and hopefully some of the current crop of undrafted free agents for the Jets have some good things in store for them they will have their first activities with the Jets along with the drafted rookies this coming weekend there's not going to be any actual practices but there's going to be an orientation and the media will have an opportunity to talk to these guys so Daryl, what is it that you want to find out from the undrafted free agents and from the actual drafted players when you get your first opportunity to ask them questions this weekend
2: Yeah, so like you said they're having a rookie orientation on friday and saturday no rookie minicamp not really worth the risk of getting a draft pick hurt when there's half the players in the field are tryout guys who aren't going to ever sniff an nfl roster so um the draft picks are going to talk on on friday and uh that's basically the meat the of the media access in terms of what really matters. And so, uh, yeah, I think we'll be interested to, to talk some more with Quentin Williams about what he envisions his role being. Uh, talk with Ja'Kai Polite some more about how he is trying to kind of prove wrong those people who uh, think he's a, a a big risk and a, and a red flag. Um, so those are a couple of things for sure. And Adam Gase will talk. And there's plenty to ask him coming out of the draft because he didn't talk during draft weekend. He didn't address any of those um, reports about friction between him and Mike Mcagnan. He didn't really he didn't talk about the draft picks. Uh, So that will be uh, press conference. Will be a lot of catching up to do with Adam Gase on Friday.
1: When you talk to Adam Gase, I'm sure you'll ask him about the rumored strife between him and Mike Mcagnan. But you'll probably also ask about some free agents that are still available on the open market. You wrote a column on this recently at NJ.com. There was a deadline that passed them, and I'll let you explain the significance of it. That means that some of these guys that are still unsigned, like Ndamukong Su, Ezekiel Ansah, Morris Claiborne, who there's been some buzz about with the Jets, they may get signed now where it's become at least a lot more likely that they will. Tell me a little bit about your thinking behind this and the deadline that I'm talking about.
2: It is, yeah, the Jets are certainly open to re-signing Morris Claiborne. Everybody knows their cornerback situation opposite Tremaine Johnson. That uh, Daryl Roberts is a question mark. So, yeah, they could they bring back Claiborne for a decent price on another one-year deal. They Mike Mcagnon has not ruled it out. He's always said he's open to it. So, Claiborne's rehabbing some kind of injury too. So that's uh, that's worth uh, noting as well. But. Um, yeah, so the, the deal is May 7th is the cutoff date for the compensatory pick formula. So the compensatory pick thing is, you know, everyone knows what comp picks are. Through Round three through seven, they get tacked on the end. There's 32 of them overall. And they're, they're basically handed out based on free agents in versus free agents out. So if you, like, lose a lot of high-value free agents in terms of guys who go on to play a lot elsewhere and get big money elsewhere and you don't bring in a lot of those type of guys, uh, big-money guys who play a lot, then you're more likely to get comp picks. So like Trent Brown, uh, Trey Flowers, the Patriots losing them, they're in line to get a third round comp pick for each of those guys uh, in 2020. The Jets, on the other hand, of course, didn't really lose any big time free agents and they signed a lot of big time free agents. So they're not going to get any comp picks almost certainly, regardless of what happens going forward here uh, in 2020. So... But for for the league as a whole, like, more and more teams are putting an increased emphasis on comp picks because you can trade them now. So they're just as valuable as regular picks. Used to be you couldn't trade them until, I think, 2017. So with, Mark, with May 7th, any guy signed before that as a free agent factors into the comp pick formula. Now, we're talking about guys who became free agents with the expiration of their contract, not a guy who was caught. So, like, Eric Berry was caught. So he doesn't. Count here, and Dominic and Sue's contract expired. Ezekiel Lance's contract expired. Claiborne's contract expired. That's why they would factor into the to the Comptick formula. But now that it's past May seventh, they don't that's out the window. The comp pick formula is out the window. So teams can sign Dominican Sue for what? if Whatever they want, like $12 million. And he's not going to count against them possibly getting a comp pick. Um, on, the other, on the other hand, the, the Rams aren't going to benefit any longer from Sue signing a big deal elsewhere. Whereas if he signed before May 7th, the Rams, his former team would benefit from him as a lost, lost, like big free agent, if that makes sense. So, um, Really, from a jet perspective, it, it doesn't matter a ton because they're not going to get comp picks anyway, most likely, or any comp pick. But this means that Morris Claiborne potentially could have uh, a market pop up uh, in terms of uh, teams wanting him if, if, if he proves he's healthy. And uh, you know, I think he he was decent enough last year where you know you could feel okay enough about putting him back out there. I think, but that's sort of where where things stand with that.
1: You said the Jets don't have any big-time free agents that left. How dare you disrespect the great Buster Screen this way, Dave? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think... Uh, you know, look, it's based on. It's based a lot on... The formula is, is complex and it's uh, secret, but uh, it, is, it is based on how much playing time the guy gets with his new team, but also the contract value. So I, the Jets could have lost, like, one big-time free agent, but because they signed... Like, they gave so much money to Bell and Mosley, uh, and those guys are going to play a lot. That, that probably would have counteracted the loss of a, and canceled out of the loss of a big free agent. Like, if, if whoever, I'm trying to think of this, is, if they had lost a player who went and signed a big deal, deal the were, I don't even think that would have mattered because they threw so much money at, uh, you talk about the three big ones that they signed, Mosley, Bell, and Crowder in free agency and how much those guys are going to play that I, I don't even know if it would have mattered anyway.
1: Worth noting that the Patriots have really exploited this formula over the last couple of years. You mentioned Trent Brown and Trey Flowers. They've gotten a ton of comp picks over the years for guys like that, and they've turned them into good players, and now they can actually use them for trades because that rule changed where you can deal comp picks now where in the past you couldn't. So certainly something worth looking at in terms of the market for these players because there are teams, unlike the Jets, who would possibly have to surrender the ability to get comp picks, and now they could be free to speak. Spend on players, like you said, along the lines of Adama Kong, Sue, Ezekiel Lance, Morris Claiborne, and others. We will see if the Jets end up getting Morris Claiborne, and if they do, maybe it will increase the odds that they go into the playoffs in the AFC. Right now, the odds are actually fairly decent, according to DraftKings. I'm kind of surprised, Daryl, but the Jets are at plus 275 to make the playoffs at this moment, which would put them at ninth in the AFC. Remember, 6 teams make the playoffs, so that means that at this moment, Vegas thinks that the Jets are right on that playoff bubble.
2: I think that's fair. I mean, if, if you think that they're going to win 8 games, you know, you can win 9 and make the playoffs. It's the second wild card. So, yeah, if you're talking about ninth out of 16 in, in a conference where 6 teams make it, you're kind of right there. I would guess, I don't, haven't looked at those odds, but probably the teams that are seventh and eighth have very similar uh, odds to what the jets do and, and maybe even the six teams. So I don't think the odds would necessarily increases incrementally uh, with those teams that are kind of bunched in just because it, it is pretty unpredictable with those bunched in spots. I think you can, you can kind of uh, expect that the Patriots based on the way their division is, is, is composed that they would probably, you know, be almost a shoe in, to make the playoffs. Again, I haven't looked at those odds, but I would guess that they would probably be the best odds, you know, or the worst, however you want to put it to, to make the playoffs in terms of the lowest payout. But uh, yeah, I think the jets from a, from a win, I think we talked about it a lot, but like seven and nine wins should be the realistic expectation for this team. And if you're on the eight or nine win, level, then especially a nine-win level, you you can make the playoffs. Now, the Jets obviously missed it at 10 wins a couple years ago, but the Eagles made it with nine wins last year. So um, you can certainly do it in nine and seven.
1: What I did find interesting here, though, Daryl, is that while the Jets are ranked ninth in terms of their odds to make the playoffs out of the AFC, they're only actually favored to win four games.
2: Yeah, right. So what did they do? They set the point spreads for every game already, and that's what they're saying.
1: Yeah, they set the preliminary point spreads.
2: Right. So what they're saying there is, uh, I think you understand it. And I understand it, but just to make it clear, is they're saying that they're going to win against the spread in four games. That's that's what Vegas is saying. Not that they're going to win four games, but that they're actually going to either cover or you know say the Patriots are favored by seven, keep the margin you know less than seven. That's pretty you know just basic gambling stuff. But yeah, I don't think that they're saying that they're going to win just four games. But that's kind of weird though, because if you think that they're if you think they're going to be an, uh, an eight to nine win team, I guess you're saying that they're going to go, what, four and four in terms of the games they win where they don't cover. So I think Vegas thinks that what they're saying there is they're going to win a lot of, you know, potentially some close games, which would be a reversal of of last year. <laughs> they didn't win nearly enough of those, but Adam Gase has a track record from his time down there. So that's something interesting to watch.
1: Definitely something worth monitoring. And if you're a gambler... You might want to get in on that now before they sign Morris Claiborne and the odds really shift. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I like Morris Claiborne. I don't think he's going to be shifting the playoff odds all that much. Although, he may help slightly in the odds that Quinn and Williams wins Defensive Rookie of the Year because obviously if they have a more competent cornerback back there instead of Darrell Roberts who is not quite as good as Morris Claiborne. He's serviceable, I suppose, but Claiborne at least gives you a legitimate starting option. It should help the rest of the defense, but right now, Williams is rated fourth in the odds to win defensive rookie of the year behind nick bosa devin white and devin bush
2: that seems reasonable i guess right the jets had a defensive tackle win rookie of the year with sheldon sheldon richardson a few years ago so uh Normally, you think maybe it would be, you come at like a position where you could accumulate more stats, but, um, with, with Defensive Rookie of the Year, the voters have kind of shown the, the willingness to look beyond that because uh, Sheldon Richardson, when he won Defensive Rookie of the Year, he was, uh, I'll look it up here as we're talking, but I don't think he had like eye popping sack numbers that year, but he was an impactful player for sure. He had three and a half sacks and, and eight quarterback hits that year, um, and 12 tackles for loss. So pretty good. Um, but not a guy who necessarily pops off uh, pops off the screen in terms of the stats so the, the, the precedent is there certainly for for and uh, Williams maybe
0: do it
1: I think generally the safer bet, as you said, Daryl, is to bet on guys that are going to have the flashy numbers, the sacks, the interceptions, stuff like that. Sheldon Richardson was a product of a pretty bad draft that year, and I think that's a big part of the reason why he won rookie of the year. This year, you're probably looking at Bosa. I'm surprised that Brian Burns doesn't have higher odds. That's a guy that if I were to bet on this, I would put some money on because I think for the sack ability that he has and for the odds, placement that he has, he's a good bargain. Josh Allen might be a good one. He's actually fifth in this after Quentin Williams. So if you're a gambler, something to note that Quentin Williams is at plus 900 right now and fourth behind Nick Bosa, Devin White, and Devin Bush. So if you're looking to place some bets on who's going to win Defensive Rookie of the Year, might be worth taking the leap of faith on Quentin Williams. Daryl, thanks so much for joining me as you get ready to cover the rookie orientations this weekend. Should be some notable things going on there. But in the meantime, you and Matt Stipelkowski have plenty to read over at NJ.com, and I'm sure you've got plenty planned as well. So for anybody that hasn't been over there lately, what do you have up, and what are you planning to add in the next couple of days?
2: Yeah, Matt's got the wrap up last night from the Gridiron Gala, the churning event, and uh, we'll have some kind of power rankings and stuff going forward as you get look ahead to the season. Um, and then uh, plenty of coverage from the rookie rookie mini camp uh, such as it is well really rookie orientation uh, this weekend and the draft picks will talk on Friday so there'll be a lot to address there it looks like uh, about noon or so those guys will be talking so within the next you know a little bit after that we'll have some stuff coming out from from what they were saying so I can't imagine a lot of shattering stuff from the draft picks but like I said the, the big uh, most notable thing Friday is really getting a chance to talk to Adam Gase for the first time since a lot of stuff has come out and since the draft. So, uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting, uh, interesting day on Friday to uh, kind of catch up with uh, all things Jets.
1: One last thing I wanted to mention quickly, Mark Gastineau, one of the greatest pass rushers in NFL history and obviously a legendary Jet, is struggling with bills due to his battle with cancer. He's doing a GoFundMe right now looking to raise $75,000. He's still about $73,000 short of his goal. So if you have a few dollars that you can give please do. If you don't, it's okay. I'm not trying to pressure you into it or anything. I know that times are tough, so if you have a couple of bucks, even if it's a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, and you're willing to help out Mark Esino, that would be great. Go ahead over to his GoFundMe and kick in a few bucks if you can. Thanks so much to Daryl for joining me. Go ahead and follow Daryl on Twitter. Read him and Matt Stipulkowski up at nj.com. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.